0: But I'm looking forward over the next couple weeks, and uh, hopefully by the time that we're coming to the end of this series, we'll actually be in person to be able to have these conversations uh, centered around the book of James. And uh, the series is called Faith That Works. Reality is we're not saved by works. We all agree that there's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor, that it's all of what Christ has done, but true faith works like there there is something that happens in the heart of man that affects every aspect of their life and so last week we had a conversation about every believer's battle and if you remember uh, I, I split it up by three points to be faithful in trials to be freed from temptation by following the truth and listen as trials come the word of God says count it all joy like be thankful for those trials And he goes on, verse 12 said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. Reality is God has placed that trial there. And whatever we're going through, uh, as an individual, you may have major trials happening right now. You can trust that God has a purpose and trust him that he's good. Um, But we went on to talk about being freed from temptation. And all of us have temptations. It is common to all men. And uh, he said he warned us not to be deceived. And in verse 18, he said this: We are a kind of first fruits of his creature uh, of his creatures. What he's talking about is that um, the the work that he's doing in us to change us. There's evidence of life, and it's this evidence of this massive. Uh, New creation that's coming is evidenced by the testimony of our life, having victory in temptation. So praise God for that. But by following the truth, the truth is the thing that sets you free. And so be doers, is what James said. Be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And so this morning, we're going to turn our attention... To the, next, the very end of chapter one, there's just two verses, and then we're going to work our way through, halfway through chapter two, and we'll pick up verse 14 next week. But we're going to talk about living for more than Sunday best. Living for more than Sunday best. And that might not make sense right now. I want to explain to you... Um, Back in the 40s, uh, there was, reality is everybody had a closet. Today, everybody has a closet full of clothes. Back then, they had their work clothes and then their Sunday best, right? And so you, you had the same set of clothes on throughout the weeks. Uh, you had work clothes, different work outfits or play outfits if you were children. And then on Sunday, you put on the one outfit you had that was presentable to public, And so what happened is we we dress up on Sundays and it became culturally a thing that we do. And we all dress up a little nicer on Sunday on the weekend. And uh, I remember growing up, I I heard from my mom said, if the president was coming to town, uh, what would you put on? And so that's the mindset of Sunday Best. But what's happened over the last 80 years is that somehow it can very easily turn into a masquerade. That you can have scars and you can have deep sin issues and you can really be oppressed by these sin issues in your life. But on Sunday, when you put those nice clothes on and you show up to church, it's like none of that is real. None of that is happening. And so it actually becomes like a masquerade where it can, sometimes everybody gets dressed up and puts this mask on that makes it look like from the outside everything is good But I want to challenge you this morning from the the book of James that God intends for you something so much more than just Sunday best. I'm calling you to take off the mask, and I'm not talking about the coronavirus mask, but I'm calling you to take off the mask and be real and strive not to just settle for what people's opinion of you is that, that you're chasing after real, pure faith. Real pure religion, and so as as we ended last week, we said, "Be doers of the word and not hearers only." And I'm going to run with that idea today. We're going to talk through first, uh, if you have a Bible, James one chapter twenty six, and uh, just a reminder from last week also that this book was considered to be the first book that was actually penned in the New Testament. And so during that time, it was, uh, could be anywhere from 12 to 15 years after the very cross that Jesus died on, and so it's still a fresh memory, and this is the first church beginning, and, uh, and so the author, we determined last week, is most likely James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, and at that time, he was, he was a leader in the church that he was meeting in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And so he was writing at that time to Jewish believers as they were gathering in churches in Jerusalem, began to face persecution and were scattered abroad. And so James is writing this letter to the people that were scattered all over the world. And so let me, let me just cause you, I want you to imagine this. Imagine this, that we were meeting in this room every week, gathering together, being encouraged in the Lord and being strengthened in our fellowship and having an opportunity to praise God together. And then one day, I mean, it doesn't doesn't take a lot to imagine right now, but one day the government said, you cannot meet in this room anymore. And they said, that's it, you guys have to go. And as we continue to find ways to meet, then the government begins to pour out just these injustices on us that, that they keep us from trying to gather together. And the reality is persecution becomes so great that we scatter all over the East Coast. And in some ways, we were running for our lives. Some ways, we were just looking for peace. And so imagine that Tony Sasinis from, from First Baptist Church at Canova begins to pen a, a, a letter to those who are scattered all over the East Coast, that, that just encouraging them in the truth of God's word or encouraging them in the gospel, and it really changes the way that you read the book of James then because this book was meant to encourage those who were scattered all over these Gentile nations. And praise God, that is how the, the gospel spread. So, so he is, I'm picking up with that thought again, be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Don't show up in this room and just hear the word and leave as if unchanged. But as you hear it, receive it and grow in it. It's more than just externalism. It's what's what's on the out or the inside of us comes out in our actions and our words. And so that's the call this morning. Uh, I've, I've broken it down into four areas. Four areas that that the internal, as God is changing us on the inside, it's clearly evident on the outside. All right? The first thing is this controlling conversation. Controlling conversation. Uh, Verse 26 says, if anyone thinks he is religious or outwardly practicing rituals of faith, like if you think you're religious, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, the inward man. This person's religion is worthless. The rituals, the things we do mean nothing if you don't bridle your tongue. I won't spend a lot of time here because I believe in two weeks we'll be in James chapter three, and we're going to deal very much on the the tongue and the effect of the tongue itself. But I look forward to sharing. I will say this, my testimony, um, God used this concept to lead me to understand that I was lost. Um, As I was a a kid growing up in church, I I was in church, Um, I remember I remember that even when I had chicken pox, my mom and dad wouldn't let me stay home. I had to just sit in the car. <laughs> but uh, but all that to say, like when we were when it was Sunday or Wednesday, we were in church. And I learned how to act in church. I did everything I was supposed to. But when I stepped into the school, I realized that there's a different language that you can say these words and gain acceptance among man. And so I started to pick up, really even before I understood what these words meant, I was cussing like a sailor. And uh, I I actually, I I just was doing it to get a rise out of favor of man. I just wanted to be cool. And so I, I cussed like a sailor. And I remember as a junior in high school, the preacher was speaking on things that whatever is in the heart, I love what Luke said it this way, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in the heart comes out of the mouth, and God began to convict me in my heart that the reason I had such a a vast array of things that came out of my mouth is because my heart was not centered on him. I had never placed my faith and trust in him. And so the Lord used that very thing. So I want to ask you right now, as you're sitting there, uh, you've just gone through a worship set, man, incredible again, Uh, thankful for the worship team, but you just went through a worship set, and maybe you sang as you're sitting on the couch uh, with your family sitting around. But in the last week, what words have come out of the same mouth that just sang worship songs today. You think about all the things that you spoke this week. Is it the same mouth that just proclaimed glory and praise to Jesus? And so the the Bible even talks about this. How can bitter water come from a fresh well? It it has to come out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So the, the call is not to just change your tongue but to Check your heart, and this would probably be a good time uh, to confess uh, your sins before your family. Maybe you did have a rough week, and you did respond, and your heart was not resting in Christ, and so you respond in the flesh, and and you probably hurt some people around you. This is a good time to confess and apologize. Uh, I know know it's kind of difficult. With coronavirus and uh, being in solitude with your family for so much, uh, but I just call you to to make these things right now, man. No greater time than now. And so, verse twenty seven, Paul turns our attention, or James turns our attention to a call to compassion. Not only should we bridle or control our tongue, but he calls us to compassion. says, uh, oh, I love this quote, by the way. I, I threw this in here. Words are no substitute for deeds of love. So I could walk up to a friend and say, man, I love you so much. But if it's not demonstrated by an act, then how do you trust the words out of my mouth that I love them? And so, uh, so James says this in verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled uh, and it's expressed through outward acts, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this to visit, to look after the orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So why orphans and widows? Have you ever thought about that? Why, why in this verse, we've heard this verse a hundred times. Why did God the Father inspire James the Holy Spirit inspired James to write orphans and widows You think about an orphan and a widow an orphan lost a father he's fatherless and motherless you think about a widow, he lost, she lost a husband, somebody that was there, and ultimately, those are, those are the role. We stand as, as, a, as a father and a husband, I stand in the role of a provider and a protector. When there's a sound in the night, I jump up out of protection for my family, I want to know what's going on in my house. Right? And, and I'm so compelled as a, as a man in my home and I know God uses women in the same way to provide but I'm saying I, I'm compelled to take care of my family not just financially but I want to provide for them so much more than just financial. There's a lot of, a lot of men who are just men who have kids but a father is something entirely different. And so they are the most vulnerable even in James's day they were the most vulnerable in all of all of society at that time you think about last night by the way I stopped and and I hugged my kids last night and I thought to myself I wonder if you think this too what would happen if my kids were orphans How would my heart be towards my own kids if God took my life away and took my wife's life away and my kids were forced to figure out what life looks like moving forward? Like That that pains my heart, not just to not be able to be a part of their life, but when you stop and think of the children that God has blessed you with, how would they do if you weren't in their life anymore? Uh, We had the difficult challenge years ago um, when serving in Georgia that a a father and a husband um, had a car accident and passed away and uh, there were four kids in our youth group in Georgia that, uh, that were fatherless. And it's just a whole set of challenges and so many people reached into their life and became mentors and helped them and encouraged them and brought them along. You just think about that as an orphan being fatherless uh, listen to the heart of God. Psalm 68, verses 4 and 5 says, Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. So we're talking about God. It says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. His heart is to be a father and a protector God's very heart is to provide and protect the the orphans and the widows. And so how does he do that? How in 2020, 2020, how does God protect and provide for widows and orphans? He chose us, the church, his people. Can you imagine that, our calling that God is calling, this pure religion that God is calling us to through this book of James, he's calling us as an expression of the compassion that's on the heart of God. Listen to what Moses, when he, he received the law, he it says there in chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, he says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. And listen to this, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Jesus himself said it this way. He said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. He's saying, I won't leave you fatherless. The reality is we were all orphans. We had no heavenly father but Jesus didn't just, he didn't just come die and was buried and rise again, but he is coming back to bring us to our Father. God himself, by the work of Jesus, has brought us into the family of God. What a powerful thought. Paul charged charged Timothy in chapter five of 1 Timothy, he said, honor widows who are truly widows, Literally, someone that has been just left alone, just on their own trying to figure out what life looks like. It says, honor those, care for them. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and make some return of, to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Literally, in that passage, it's, it's more like a woe if you don't care for your own. If there's a widow in your family and you're not willing to set aside finances or be able to care for them or watch out for them, then this is kind of a woe situation. And he says this in verse five. She who is truly a widow left alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. I was so encouraged this week talking to one who is a widow in our church and how, how she, her fervent trust in the hand of God to provide for her. My goodness, it encouraged me this week, midweek, and you know who you are. Even as I say this, I, I pray you're watching right now. and uh, Man, it encouraged me to hear how her trust day and night that God would provide for her and, uh, and she was willing to take a stand and do something that was right, even though it forced her not to have provisions for, for her step of faith. But praise God, man, that's incred- encouraging to me. And uh, so how, just practically speaking, how should we in 2020 provide for widows and orphans? As you sit and think, I just, this is not an exhaustive list, but I want you to think here at, at our church and even in this region, as we know people that are in these positions, just ways for you to think about it. Again, it's not exhaustive, but if our job is, our calling from the heart of God Himself is to provide and protect, then think about ways, the needs that we have, right? The spiritual needs. You think about a widow, many times they're very lonely. They, they literally have no one in their life. Even, even sometimes a family will abandon them, not care for them. Maybe they'll just throw them in a nursing home and nothing, nothing wrong, thank God for nursing homes, but I'm saying it's not okay to just send them there and leave them there, but visit and care for them. Uh, orphans have no nurturing uh, care. They, they don't have any guidance. And so there's all these spiritual needs to be able to pour into it, and some of them, some of them are widows and orphans because of neglect; they're just set aside. And so, in, in practical ways, you, James James was speaking of very practical that if there's somebody among us, then you care for their needs. It could be continual support. Uh, some of these widows are living on a fixed income, and they they. Uh, Man, they don't have much to live on. And there's, there may be ways to continually support, but also occasional. Man, just to, to let, a, let these children know that you're, you care about them. They're special to you. Don't just give them your hand-me-down toys. Get them a new toy. Like, what are ways that you can minister to people? Uh, I know we haven't had uh, the Lord's Supper here at church for a while, but after the Lord's Supper, as we go through the doors, there's a plate at the door, and as you go, we're giving to the deacon's fund, and every time you put money in that, it's directly going to minister to people in these situations. And so I encourage you, uh, you I, I was sitting and thinking about protecting. What are ways that we can protect? Um, if, if this was my grandmother, all, all four of my grandparents have passed away, uh, but if this was my grandmother, you think about phone scams. I'm, I was just thinking practical ways. Uh, Were phone scams where people give them a call and they say, uh, "Hey, you need to give us your credit card immediately." You know, we need to equip them and we need to tell them, "Hey, if somebody calls you that way, don't give them any information. It's a scam." right? I I think too, like if they have car problems and they go to a car garage and they say, that's going to be $3,000 worth of repairs, it could be a simple repair that only costs a couple hundred dollars. There's got to be people in in these widows' lives that can step in and say, well, no, you don't need to do that. Let me check it out. Let me see if I can help. And so there's so many ways that they're manipulated and as you think about these things it should stir up in your heart this righteous indignation. My goodness. The most vulnerable of our society being manipulated. You should be the person that they call when they have a need. I think about how many orphans out there um, that have struggled with um, just being oppressed um, physically, emotionally. They don't have anybody that wants them and just all these things. But many times, too, their sexual oppression and, and neglect and and all these things build up to this, this child that's broken. And the reason why they're broken is because they've been constantly manipulated and taken advantage of and left for nothing. Uh I had a crazy brainstorm the other night, and uh, I, I was telling Blake this morning, I probably should copyright this, but I don't care. I, somebody in our church needs to take this idea and run with it as a ministry to those who are ministering to orphans. How can you help? Uh, look at it. it spells safe. How cool is that? Uh, spell safe. Uh, these are just four practical ways that you, right now, here at this church, Can help somebody that is taking on orphans or taking on children that have just been neglected, right? A sponsor. Uh, We don't understand how much it costs until uh, to raise a child until you have children. Um, I, I. you just never realize how much it costs to raise kids. And so some of these parents, are are they have a little bit of help, but there could be ways that you could support them. Listen, you might say, I could never take on a kid, and they probably wouldn't give you a kid maybe. Some of you in your life situations wouldn't be able to take on a kid, but you can help those who have taken on a kid, a child. Uh, man, so many are adopting these days, praise God, Um just, just to see families growing by taking on these kids that were rejected by society. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that takes this very seriously. Uh, some of my good friends here at the church also are stepping into foster care. And uh, one of my friends, uh, they, they, I won't even mention them here, but they just went from a family of two to a family of five over the course of a couple months. And so, man, any way that I can help them where they're at right now, and that's where we get to E, the, the equipping. Um, I've had a couple of calls, uh, a couple conversations with my friend who is right now fostering and helping him process through uh, how to raise a teenager. You know, you think about it. I don't feel like I have much to offer a foster parent or someone who's adopted but because I've walked through uh, years of my wife and I have raised our kids to the point that they are now, even learning how to discipline them at an early age, and then we've learned all these things in, in walking with teenagers for the last 16, 17 years of ministry, and, and I wanted to step beside him and equip him to minister to his foster kids. What if that was the passion of every person in the church? That one of these four things, I will step in. I will be a part of ministering to orphans. Martin Luther said this way He said, A Christian man is the most free Lord, or literally, ruler during that time, is the idea of ruler. Um, he's the most free Lord of all and subject to none. There's no one. He, he, is, he is oppressed under their leadership. He, is, he answers to God Almighty that says a Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all. We're subject to everyone. And so uh, we turn the page. There's a there's a third thing. The first thing uh, we talked about, the tongue and controlling conversations. The second thing we talked about was, uh, was the call to compassion. And right now we're going to talk about cleanliness and conduct. Um, whew, I lost my papers. I'm just going to leave them down. Uh, cleanliness and conduct. Uh, that same verse at the end of verse 27, it says this. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and and to keep oneself unstained, or keep from being polluted, keep oneself unstained from the world, the secular world. Ironically, when I was growing up, the one who cared more about my testimony and my purity, my holiness, was my earthly father, uh, I'm, I have the opportunity to spend time with my father this weekend, and uh, he's the one that cared more about my purity and my holiness as a child all the way up into my teen years than I did. You know, I, I thought, and even my friends thought, that he was unfair and strict, he was just harsh uh, he, he kept his thumb down on me, and back then I kind of in some ways despised that. Like, why are you controlling every aspect of my life? I can't have any fun. Uh, I remember he wouldn't let me go to parties. My friends were all going to parties. Um, he wouldn't let me go to parties. He wouldn't let me uh, get in the car and go wherever I wanted to. He wouldn't even let me, listen to this, parents. He wouldn't let me date just any girl I wanted to. Man, that just feels like an overreach. He's telling me I can't date that girl. And one time I was, I was chasing after a girl that, praise God, he spared me from. But my father, I remember I was at this girl's house just hanging out. It was a summer day. And I hear a knock on the door. And the, the mother went to the door, opened the door. You know who it was? My earthly father. He said, is John here? And I went to the door and he said, John, you need to get on your bike and head home. And I, I remember feeling like uh, I'm in trouble. I wasn't doing anything. I was just hanging out with this girl, and he he just he stepped into my life and and helped me and and encouraged me and didn't let me do things that I thought I could or shall I should be able to. I love this quote. I, I'm quoting my dad now this morning. We're with a lot of quotes this morning, but I'm quoting my father. He said this. It still rings in my ear. He said. If you aren't man enough to stand up for what is right, then just tell them your daddy wouldn't let you. If you're not willing to say the reason I can't go to the parties is because it's wrong, that nothing good can come from that. If I'm not willing to step up and say it's not right, then just tell them my daddy wouldn't let me. But today I'm I'm grateful. I'm grateful that God provided somebody in my life to keep me during those formidable years from being stained, polluted by this world system, This the God of this world trying to reach into my life and ruin my testimony before I even came to Christ. If that's possible. I love what Ephesians 2 says this, for we are his workmanship to... I am his work project, his art project. I'm his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for for this purpose, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God is at work in me producing this, this holiness that is not my own necessarily, It's crazy that my father cared for those years before God placed him in my life, but he cared for me, uh, my holiness, my purity before I even trusted Christ. And and the crazy thing is I begin to understand how my heavenly father works in his heart toward me that God himself is committed more to my holiness than I am. God himself is invested in, in creating in me this, this man who is conformed to the image of Christ and these good works that he's performing in me, these are the things, this is Jesus being formed in us. And he is committed to keeping me clean too. So when the, the word of God says, keep oneself, that's, that speaks of my responsibility. And I would just say it this way. Now, I don't want to manipulate scripture um, but I would say it, it is my responsibility, but I'm just asking you, quit fighting against what God is doing in your life right now. God is working. He is working in your life. He is he's changing you from the inside out. Quit fighting against his working in you. Mark Deaver said this, if you're not at odds with sin, you're not at home with Jesus if God is not stirring your heart away from sin, you're not at home with Jesus. And so it brings me to the fourth thing, and we turn to James chapter two. Uh, These first 13 verses of James chapter two, it's this idea of being consistently considerate, no matter who it is. And James two, verse one says, my brothers show no partiality, no favoritism, No prejudice as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. After after serving the last 11 half years previously in Georgia, and I'm going to quit mentioning Georgia, but it's just a major season of my life. And uh, after serving down there, I I began to see down in the southeast of America, um, there is a racial divide, and it's not as much... Uh, based on actual physical or, or tension, like racial tension. But it's more, I believe, has to do with differing cultures and differing values. And so uh, I, I had opportunity to develop a friendship. He's a, he's a close brother of mine down in Georgia. His name's Marcus. His wife's Tawani. And, uh, and as we walked together, uh, the more we began to spend time together, the, the veil came down. And we could begin to have open conversations about why culturally we are so different. Why does why do white men and black men struggle to intertwine in the culture of Georgia? And I remember like we have the same, we have different skin, we come from different cultures, but we have the same Heavenly Father. And that drove us to have conversations. That at the time, we couldn't start there, but as we dug into these conversations and had conversations, why is it so much separation among different uh, nationalities and different nations? We were in a predominantly white church in a county that was very mixed in race. And so as we talked, it's, it's not just about... Willingness to have a conversation. That's not what this idea of partiality, like everybody is nice to everybody. Uh, Everybody is kind. Everybody's willing to talk to anybody, even if they're different from them. But the question is, are you willing to open up your home? Open up your family? Open up your life? That's the demonstration that that I am impartial to people that are different from me. So I'm thankful for those lessons that I learned. But verse 2, it describes it this way. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes in your assembly, somebody, it's not wrong, it's not saying it's wrong to wear gold rings and nice clothes, but it's, it's wrong, the reaction to this is wrong. Look, at, It says, a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in the good place, well, I say to the poor man, you stand over there and sit down at my feet. You have to You have to set the stage of this picture that this is like a crowded house church, right? And you come into the house and there's the nice lazy boy right here. They didn't have lazy boys, but go with me. Lazy boy here in a nice couch. And then there's like, 50 people in the living room, right? And you come in and it's it's there's a man that comes in wealthy and you give him the opportunity here you sit in the lazy boy. It's not just about having a comfortable seat to sit, but it's this seat of honor among a room full of people. That's what they were striving for to honor the wealthy. And and then somebody comes in and it's crammed in there and you say there's a little tiny spot over there on the floor to the poor man. This is what he says. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Is that's what's happened? Have you have you become a judge with evil thoughts? I, I think and uh, I've spent a lot of time at school lunches through the years, just doing student ministry. As you walk into the student uh, a, a lunch room at a high school, you can walk in and say, "There's the there's the jocks table. There's the." Nerds table, there's the band nerds table. That's a different table. There's the popular kids. There's the kids that all they care about is getting to college and getting out of here. And then there's just all kind of tables. Then there's the outcasts, right? And you come into this, you're carrying your tray and you're walking in there and you're trying to figure out where you fit in this room. When you sit, if you're the one that's at the cool table, and God's calling you not to favor cool people, the rich people, the people like that, and then you choose to sit will it cost you will it cost you people's opinion of you if you sit at the out, outcast table. When you talk about Jesus at the cool kids table, I think it's crazy. I'm even talking about this, but you talk about Jesus at the cool kids table will you be cast out or made fun of or said what what in the wor- world's wrong with you don't let popular kids <laughs> dictate what you should do listen adults the same thing don't let people of influence in your community be the one to dictate what you should do because ultimately these people don't care about you they care about themselves And so when you're trying to do things to gain their approval and their favor, the reality is they don't care more about you. They're just holding you in a prison that you shouldn't be in. Don't be a respecter of persons. And so verse 5 says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world, financially, materialistically poor in the world, to be rich just spiritually in faith? and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. It says, but you, but in contrast, you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the one who oppressed you? Aren't they the ones that drag you into courts? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Um, I'll keep the pastor unnamed. Um but a couple of years ago, I believe it was in 2018, an Illinois megachurch pastor, I, I wrote it down, I want to read it to you. He, he disguised himself as a bearded homeless man. And he camped outside of his church in the Chicago area and before Sunday services to see how the congregants would react. As Christ calls on his followers to help the least of these in society, He wanted to put his congregation to the test to see how well they were living out the biblical commands to not only love God, but also love your neighbor as yourself. The pastor dressed in layers with a fake beard and long gray uh, fake hair as he rolled a shopping cart down the street toward the church. He then took a seat right in front of the building, putting out his cup for change and a sign. Churchgoers couldn't help but notice the hairy homeless man sitting with his legs uh, crossed by the entrance as they walked by him to enter the church. Churchgoers, some would walk right past their pastor disguised as a homeless man. Walk right past this man who was their pastor because he was disguised as a homeless man without offering much in the way of help. The bearded homeless pastor then walked through the church sanctuary with his shopping cart and continued onto the stage and began to take off his beard and layers of clothes to reveal his true identity. His words cut through the hearts of the people. He said this, If we are going to love like our Father in Heaven loves, we don't get to play favorites. By favorites, I mean so often we love the people when there is some benefit in it for us. So often we love people when there's no benefit, when there's when there's no benefit for us. Um, the pastor continued to explain that he was crying inside that beard because of the generosity and love shown to him by so many of the congregants who either brought him food or took time to pray with him. Numerous churchgoers offered him prayer, food, drink, money, and even the word of God. And others even invited the homeless man into the church to join them in worship. My goodness. James went on to say, If you really fulfill the royal law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Not, not, just, not just doing things for others so it benefits you, but you're actually benefiting others. It's not about yourself. It says you are doing well. If you do this for real in your heart, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. You're an offender of the law. Verse 10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of it all. In other words, it's, I love this word picture. If you take a hammer and hit a window in one spot, the entire window shatters. That same idea, you could be living in perfection, the whole entire law, but you fail it in one point, you're guilty of the whole thing. Verse 11, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Listen, the law is strict and unbendable. Unbendable. The reality is every man will be judged under this law. We will all stand before a holy God one day. Every single person that lives, every person that's hearing these words coming out of my mouth, every person will be judged under the law. It's not just the church-going Christians. It's every man, our creator, we will stand before him and give an account of our lives. And so he leads us to this this verse so powerful as I I tag to an end. For judgment is without mercy. No mercy. Judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. You show no mercy towards others. The judgment is, is without mercy. But I love this. That last phrase, my goodness. Praise God, mercy triumphs victoriously over judgment. The evidence of someone who knows the mercy of God, that's what it's speaking of. The evidence is that you show mercy to others. The down and out, the poor among us, the orphans the widows, the people that don't have any way to give you in return what you are blessing them with, those are the people that mercy, that we should extend mercy because we know the mercy of God. And so I ask you right now, is your religion just vanity? Is it Sunday morning is it Sunday Best where you put on the mask of masquerade and you and you you walk around to gain the favor of man and you do things kind to people that can return and 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 benefit you? The reality is, do you control your conversations? The things controlling putting a bridle on your tongue. Are you burdened with the call of compassion? The call to extend to the people that are most vulnerable in society. Are you striving for cleanliness and conduct? Uh, Not not fighting against what God is at work doing in your life, but in, in line with what he's doing, are you striving for cleanliness and conduct? What we just talked about, are you consistently considerate without showing partiality? We must stop the masquerade at church. We we can take the mask off and be who we are, but let it be genuine. Let it be of faith, not of externalism. The call is to begin to walk in genuine faith. Uh, it won't only affect you when your when your faith when your religion is real. It will affect every person in your life. So that's the call this morning. Uh, I pray that you strive that the Spirit of God would stir these things in your heart, and you would drive it would drive you to dependence on Christ, and that He would show Himself powerful through your weakness, uh, through your 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 understanding of His mercy being extended in mercy to others.